What's up, Fight Fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the best in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Thursday, November 8th, 2018. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I am joined by the one without whom my show and my heart would be Miss Kayla Bates. Hey, G. Hey, Fight Fans. How's it going? I am good. I've just been very excited to talk to you because there's so much going on. It's a very stacked rundown this week with so many fights to recap and preview, but it's good. So I'm excited for it. Um, As you saw, I did send you, Kayla, my Halloween costume. I was cooking up good content all week, (laughs) so I am really ready for this week. What about you? I loved it. I really enjoyed the costume, G. It made me want to go to a Benihana's or something like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised. You know, UFC 230, there's just so much going on and a little drama about, you know, how it was going to be put together. It was one of those fight cards that we were, you know, scared if they'd even get a main event uh, set. But I have to say, G, that collectively, I think that there were some really great fights provided. And I, I actually enjoyed the pay-per-view. I really did, too. It was a ton of fun. Um, Kayla, I know it's not Halloween, but can I tell you a scary story? Sure. So imagine this. We had the dominant, incredible, double two-division champion. And he threw his back out with a sneeze, and there was almost no main event. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dude, when I heard that, I was like, I would just prove that there is a curse on the Big Apple in MMA. There's a reason why they couldn't get it legalized, and this is why. Exactly. That would have sealed the deal. And how crazy that both men, you know, are talking about their old backs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was a lot. Um, let's get right into it. Daniel Cormier, Derek Lewis. Um, the fight itself, a clinic easily for DC. He did the he he kind of didn't do strategy. He almost just ran through the entire list of moves that they teach you in wrestling. <laughs> you know, his ankle pick, the double leg, double switch to the single, clinch from the cage, um, you know, with the trip. And I was like, yeah, he's all systems go. Kayla, I got to say, though, that second round, I feel like Derek Lewis in those 45 seconds between round one and round two, he looked at DC and he told himself, you know what? I got that Popeye's chicken. I got that Popeye's money. I'm going to just get after it. And I'm not going to lie. A few times, I feel like DC watched his career flash before his eyes when he was avoiding those big shots of Derek Lewis. He tried to make something happen, but once it got on DC... It was just a wrap, and look, it just speaks to his dominance. He came up off the couch less than a month's notice and choked out Derek Lewis and made it look even easier than everyone expected. Yeah, I think that a lot of us were, you know, or at least my main concern was, you know, what were we going to get from DC? Because was he going to go in there and try to provide an entertaining fight, try to test his skills on the feet and test his chin against, you know, a knockout specialist like Derek Lewis. And I think that he played the smart game plan. You know, it might not have been the most exciting back and forth performance, but he didn't have a, you know, a proper 
camp training, anything set up for this because it was put together more on the last minute and because he was still coming off injury. So I think that, yeah, he, it just shows that if you, it's great if you have that, you know, one skill and you, it's taken you as far as to getting a title shot. But I think that the real top, you know, men and women in this game are going to be those mixed martial artists that just have different skills in their arsenal. I do like that he, at least, you know, through the respect out there, of course, DC is always respectful, but I like that he did mention that when he did get, you know, clipped a little bit by Derek Lewis, or even when Derek Lewis was getting up to his feet, um, you know, back, or, yeah, getting back up to his feet, that DC felt the the power there. Oh, yeah, um, he knew. He was like, that. let's just say it, that is a big man. Mm-hmm. Get in front of him, it's going to hurt, even if it's a light tap, you know what I mean? So... I agree with you. He's always been a great sportsman. I think that he's really turned the corner, and we've talked at length about why that is. Um, And it's in large part to what we're about to discuss, and that's what's next. Um, Kayla, so here's the situation. DC, and he went on Helwani's show, and he talked about it, that he's committed to Brock Lesnar. He doesn't need John Jones, number three. He's good with it mentally. He's at peace. He's ready to right off into the sunset next March or less, you know, after he beats Brock. Here's the situation. Brock is still obviously going to be on loan from WWE. And there's been a lot of, uh, I don't want to say revelations, but there's been some new stuff come up. They recently did an event in uh, Saudi Arabia, and they are offering now a lot of money to WWE Another thing, because Brock was going to be stepping away, he was going to be less active so he could train for DC. They had another very popular superstar, Roman Reigns, defeat Brock, quote unquote, and become the heavyweight champion. So business can keep rolling while Brock kind of takes a bit of a hiatus at the end of the year. Now, Roman Reigns, which a lot of people probably saw if you watched the Sports Center or his announcement, he announced leukemia for the second time. Um, real quick, you know, thoughts, Roman. I know this is the second time, uh, you know, just positive vibes out there for you, man. But WWE, billion-dollar business, had to keep moving. Brock Lesnar reportedly signed a brand-new contract with WWE, essentially saying, hey, he's going to be the star again because they need somebody because suddenly there's been this influx of income and they need to capitalize on it because of this money from the Middle East. They want another superstar, new heavyweight champion, and they were throwing a curveball business-wise because Roman is now no longer available. What that means for Daniel Cormier, contract. He can still come to UFC and fight early next year. The problem, he's now being offered more money than ever in WWE, and people are saying he has less incentive to take that fight with DC and UFC. Which, of course, does this mean it's more likely that John Jones gets that fight if he beats Gustafsson if Brock chooses to stay in the WWE. And that has made it all very, very complicated. Yeah, and I think complicated is the best word to describe it because I think there's just, you know, there's a lot of factors coming into play with, you know, when is DC going to for sure retire? does that work with Brock's schedule since he is having the WWE kind of throw numbers and and obviously want him to still be a part of their business and company? 
how, you know, it's also putting it on Brock again to, you know, can he sell an MMA fight like he used to? Can he sell it better against DC or should he maybe wait a little bit and see if he can sell it better against John Jones? If, and again, then that's putting in another couple of factors into play. Are we going to see John Jones come back and come back successful enough to, you know, have a few more years of reigning and, you know, doing well, like he has in the past, there's just so much coming into play there that I, I, you can't really get mad at Brock Lesnar for, you know, maybe going the other route of more consistent steady work. And I think it also comes into play too. A lot of people talk about USADA, how things are stricter. I'm not saying, I mean, well, we know that Brock Lesnar has obviously used some enhancements and, and maybe it's something where he's like, Hey, I don't even know if I want to put my body through that just for a super fight that could sell. I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to money. Um, it's been very obvious. I've seen the photos. Plenty of people have probably seen the clips. Brock Lesnar has gotten a lot leaner. And people say, hey, what a coincidence. He's gotten leaner as he's re-entered USADA. All of that, you know, like you just said, it is a big factor. And if I had to put my finger on it, it's going to come down to money. At the end of the day, UFC, after December, they're going to look at John Jones is he healthy? Can he fight? Does he get injured? Remember, that first fight with Gustafsson, they had injuries similar to being in a, you know, a wreck. That's what kind of damage they did. Is he even available if DC says, yeah, for sure, I want to be done with this in March? That's going to be part of it. I do think that when you look at Brock Lesnar's popularity, I'm not big on the WWE pay-per-views. I do know that they sell consistently well because they know how to do their business, and Brock is one of their biggest stars. Fans do tune in to watch Brock do other stuff, because he's that big of a star. Like you said, people know the truth about MMA versus WWE. You know, people aren't stupid. And I think it's going to come down to UFC offering them a big enough number to say, Brock, we want you to do this. You know, like, we, I know WWE is offering you a lot more money, because of what's happened, what's going on over there. But this is a big fight. We're willing to help make up the difference for this kind of event. They're going to look at that and they're going to look at, honestly, is John Jones DC3 big enough, you know, by itself to go with that option if that's what we really have to do. So like you said, they're going to look at everything, but um, it's more complicated than it was a month ago. That's for sure. Um, Kayla, before we move on, I mean, final thoughts on that, because I think that's going to be the big question. Who does DC take on in that career finale? Because that's one thing he seems to be really set on, whether it's Brock Jones or somehow somebody else. March is going to be it for DC. What are your final thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I think that though he got a nice paycheck and though he probably did, you know, save the UFC's butt by helping them and, and being able to fight on, you know, on a main event at MSG, I'm sure that was a really big moment for him too. I don't think that that Derek Lewis fight, as far as the competitor in him, I don't think that that would be the last fight that he'd want. I think that he would just kind of want like a, you know, a full camp. Um, I don't know. I don't know DC, but if I were him, I would want one last like really competitive fight, something that I could really take the time of just enjoying camp of, wow, this is my last one. Um, and it just not be so rushed. So I hope 
and I, I feel very confident that the UFC and him will come to an agreement of where everyone's happy as much as they can be money wise, um, comp- competition wise, obviously what will be great for the fans. I think they'll take care of him. I believe so. Also, respectfully, it's not out of the question. Let's say, you know, God forbid, but hypothetically, he hurts his hand or it takes a little more time. Maybe he slips and, you know, ankles or something is sore. He can't really do a March date. I don't think it's out of the question that to finish it off right, he'd talk with his family and it's like, you know what? Okay, it happens in May. And by that time, we have more figured out with Brock and Jones. I don't think that's out of the question if the circumstances fall that way. So I want to give him a bit of leeway, but I think he's going to come to terms and they're going to get the matchup that makes sense. And the one that sells, the one that it's going to deliver, whether it's Brock or Jones, they're going to set it up to deliver. And even if that means working with him, like you said, to get a little more time. Moving on to the middleweight division. Kayla, let me set this one up for you. We had the All-American, Chris Weidman, New Yorker in Madison Square Garden. And he was taking on Ronaldo, Justin Gaethje, Souza, not Jacare. (laughs) Kayla, he forgot his name wasn't Justin Gaethje. That's what I thought when I was watching him. I thought, hey, he's going to have to be the aggressor. He's going to be more active. He went in there and just got in Chris Weidman's face, and it made it so much fun. What were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, you know, I I really, really feel like this is at least one of my favorite fights of the year so far because I think just overall the fact that we didn't even get to see the guys go on the ground, hopefully one day we'll maybe see them in a grappling tournament. Um, the fact that both guys just went in there and, and the way that, they banged it out the way that they showed how durable they still are. I think a lot of people were kind of questioning whether where both guys are. And I think that this also plays into great matchups. I think that they both are in a same kind of um, just, I guess, same level and and same area right now of, of obviously being well-rounded mixed martial artists, but of course a little bit older than the young bucks. But um I mean, the body shots thrown by Jacare, um, Chris Wyden with his accuracy. And then, like you said, just Jacare getting in there and like banging it out like a Justin Gaethje. I mean, it was shocking. It was fun. I love that we got, you know, almost a full three rounds of it. I love that we ended up getting a finish. Um, I don't know. It made me really emotional for Jacare, too. I think that this was a really important win for him to just get back on you know, with his career, I feel for Chris Weidman because it's like, man, he lost on home turf, but he definitely, it wasn't an easy fight for Jacare. So yeah, this, this almost made it. I've, I know I post every Monday or I try to of like, which is my favorite fight of the weekend. I really wanted to actually post this one G, but I had already posted about them Thursday and Friday that I just didn't want to make it the Chris Weidman Jacare Souza show. But, um, very, very fun. I think probably my favorite fight of the night. What do you think? I think you should have because now you got to escape the jaws of that crocodile or alligator. <laughs> what, what, I, I, I still need somebody to tell me, like, specifically, or do you guys, like in America, use the term interchangeably for both animals? <laughs> um, you know, for myself, uh, okay, everyone was saying Chris Weidman was taking it. Maybe it was just the emotions for me, but I felt like Jacare bluntly was getting the fist to the face more often. 
not that it wasn't a close fight. Both men were in it. And if you tell me Chris Weidman was outlanding him, I probably believe you when I watched it again. But in the moment, I felt like Jacare was just landing a little more. He was just getting in there and getting that one or two punch he needed to stay ahead of Chris. It was a great one. It was a close one. I think that Chris felt comfortable. I felt like he was taking Jacare's shots well. The finish, though, it was almost like it was just inevitable. I feel like Jacare hit him with the exact same punch he'd been hitting him with all night, and Chris took it. And that one, that little inch to the left or what have you, and it put him down. Right. Yeah, you actually, um, we were talking during the fight and, um, you know, by text, and you reminded me that the ref may not have had the angle that we did to see Chris Weidman go down in slow motion. Maybe he just looked hurt, but, you know, that's the only mark I have on that fight. But to me, I think it really represented Jacare knew he needed it for that sense of urgency. He knows what's going on. He knew Adesanya just handled business earlier. He knows that Paulo Costa is the next big thing. He knows that Kelvin Gastelum is young. He knows that Chris Weidman wants another crack at it. He knew the situation, and he knew what kind of run he was on. And like you said, he knew he needed it, and he fought like it. Mm-hmm. Someone else also brought this up to me. Chris Weidman has beaten Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, Leota Machida. He kind of has that reputation for really taking out those Brazilian legends. Maybe Jacare felt a little pressure to represent for the people, too, in that fight. Yeah, um, I'm sure. On the flip side, it like you said, cruel irony. Chris Weidman fought so hard to legalize MMA in New York, and I want to say he's now one in three, um, and he's never gotten that W in Madison Square Garden after two tries. It was rough. I don't think he's done. I know a lot of people were like, where does he go? you got to look at his competition. He's taken on a lot of tough guys, and he just came up short. Um, Kayla, to toss it to you, we're waiting, obviously, on Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, which is supposed to take place, like, February in Australia. After that, who's next? And where does Jacare kind of fit into this? Oh, gosh. Um, Let me see. Well, you give me your thoughts, G, and then let me look into this, because I want to see... I, I mean, it's an important fight with Kelvin and Robert because I want to look yeah. at who has jo- uh, Jacare hasn't fought for the title yet, right? Against uh, Whitaker. No, he's he hasn't. The he the first fight. Well, that's the thing about for me with Jacare, even he though been. he's yeah he's so tough. He's been doing so well, but he has losses to both Kelvin and Robert. And even if Kelvin were to beat Robert, and I know the fight with Jacare was close earlier this year. I can't say it gets me excited. I feel like Jacare, as great as he is, as great as this victory was, he still needs one more. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally feel like it's not out of question to, that he gets one of the guys like Paulo Costa or Adesanya. Um, I know that Paulo recently got hurt, and that's kind of delayed the fight that we thought would happen between Costa and Joel Romero. That's right, maybe, yeah. Maybe Jacare Romero 3. I think that one would maybe make sense because Jacare has a good opponent. Um, then Paulo Costa and Israel, I know that the UFC is trying to get them to title contention. You don't want to have them hit the roadblock. They want it to be a big fight when they get to the title. So I think that Romero might be the one now that Costa has been announced that he's been injured. So that's what I think would happen. But I'll be honest. Oh, I... 
I forgot, and I wrote this one. Luke Rockhold is another mm-hmm. one. Maybe Jacare and Luke Rockhold push Costa Romero, have Adesanya fight, maybe Jared Cannonier. But I think that either Rockhold or Romero for Jacare next before he gets a title shot. Yeah, and I was thinking that too. Maybe Rockhold and, and Jacare because I don't know. I just feel like unfortunately the way that Israel's on his run and I know we're going to talk about him next and the way that Dana has been talking about him lately. I I think that they really see someone who can sell and maybe jump ahead of some of these guys. I would personally like to see him kind of fight more in that top five instead of just already jumping to, you know, a title uh, eliminator. Um, But yeah, I think it is really going to be important to see what happens with Robert Whitaker, if he can stay so dominant, you know, beating the top three to five guys that uh, people have thrown his way. Um, So I think that that's going to be one where we have to see if the title changes or not, because I think that can mix it all up all over again. I agree with you. It's a big fight with Gastelum for sure. You got to imagine, depending on how it ends, if Gastelum wins, would they do a rematch? It's going to be something, but yeah, I think Jacare, he's no more, only one fight between him and a title shot, in my opinion. Even if Paolo does work, even if Adesanya does work again, I still think that Jacare, his body of work and his current, you know, run, this victory, I think that he's still right there ahead of these young guys. So that works to his advantage, regardless of what happens with the title, for sure, but I agree. There's going to be a bit of wait and see right now about what's next for him. Moving on to Mr. Israel Adesanya. Um, Kayla, this was like watching a video game, and he's that guy that you just want to press X so he'll do the cool trick. That's what it's like watching Israel, (laughs) and he looked fantastic. Derek Brunson, I said he was a tougher version of Brad Tavares, better wrestler, more explosive more experienced and Israel, you know, defended takedowns, didn't get hurt, found his spots and got the finish for a quick and easy victory in the first round. What did you think? Yeah. And I think that that's what we wanted to see from him is we wanted to see, is he evolving and adding to his skills um, that aren't just on the feet that aren't just amazing on the feet and how much he's learning from each fight. And, you know, I, most people that I talked to, they said, I just want to see him actually get a finish, you know, one of those exciting finishes, because we know he has all of the, um, like you said, moves in, in the from the video games that you can um, press X to get him to do. Um, but yeah, so I think that this was just such a, a important win for him. I think to have a win over Derek Brunson says a lot because I think that Derek Brunson is someone who, um, you know, is a strong competitor there. But I don't know. This just makes me more and more of a believer that Israel's on another level. And I think a really exciting new, fresh face to kind of throw in with these veterans and see if he can, you know, continue doing so well the more he moves up the rankings. I agree. I mean, like, I I always use this analogy. I know you like it because I love it. But, you know, he's we put him on the stove. He's been simmering. Saturday night, that thing finally popped. And I think that he really put a lot of guys on notice. He finally got that one that said, hey, he's finally hit that frequency. He's about to start putting in work. It's a lot of fun. The middleweight division is great with him. 
I keep saying it. I said it uh, after the tough finale um, in July when him and Costa won. I know that they want to set these guys up because it would be so much fun to watch them just, you know, go at it and stand and bang. They're waiting for the right time for that fight. I want that to be some buildup. One has the title, the other challenges, something like that. But um, I think that they're waiting on not they're not going to let these guys, you know, collide until the time is right. Plain and simple. They want to build them both up for Israel. though, He wants a top five next man. That top five is so difficult because on the one hand, you know, you got a great grappler like Jacare. You have a wrestler like Weidman and, you know, good, but he's not ready for Robert or Alvin Gastelum yet. So it's tough to, you know, you want to pace his development, Mm-hmm. But he's ready for the next level, for sure. I think Chris Weidman, the timing makes sense for him. I think it would say a lot about Chris Weidman, you know, uh, after everything. But I feel like that one, because Chris, good wrestling, also technical. But if you're talking about being a title contender 2019 or at the end of the year, I think that that's going to be the fight that he needs. And then you talk about, hey, well, who's the guy who's the odd man out in Robert, Kelvin, Jacare, one of these guys when it's all yeah. next year. But I'd still think he needs, I think if I had to pick someone in the top five for the next test. I like that fight too because like you had mentioned earlier, <coughs> excuse me, Chris has faced these, um, you know, these, these amazing strikers and it would be really interesting to see if Israel is the real deal or if experience will still kind of, you know, just not even humble him, but just kind of uh, slow down his hype train and work more on that development, like you say. Um, and then it, it will be telling of Chris Weidman, too. I kind of worry that I just feel like fans will say, oh, see, like he can't even hang with the new young guys. Like he's old news. I would hope that people wouldn't uh, disrespect him like that after this last performance. But I, like you said, if, if he's climbed through the rankings and there's only a few names before he gets that title eliminator, I think that that's probably – that's just like a, a good matchup to really tell us where he's at and where the division's at too, where these older guys are, where they stand. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. And um, uh, I want to give full credit to Chris Weidman. I know people – I feel like people are talking about retirement and I'm like, do you guys realize that these guys he's lost to are Luke Rockhold, Yoel Romero, um, Gegard Mousasi, Jacare? It's not like he's been fighting scrubs. He's been right. fighting guys, you know, who've been challenging for titles. And, you know, like Gegard Mousasi, we're talking about, is he actually the best middleweight in the world right now? Um, exactly. You know, like give him a bit of slack. But I understand the proof is in the pudding. At the end of the day, you've got to win the fights. But, um, yeah, so I got to give credit. Um, our friend Carrie Steller did say something to me. They said, I don't think people realize that Chris Weidman is the kind of guy who he could lose 10 fights and UFC still won't cut him. And I think she might have a point because he has done a lot of business to help them out. So I also want to bring that up before we move on. That there's loyalty, yeah. Yeah. He, he was a big part of getting New York done. Um, Kayla... I don't know about you, but I feel like the last two, three weeks have been like MMA in the Twilight Zone. We have Trey, 
Floyd Mayweather was going to Ryzen, and I thought, uh, I don't know, uh, some. I feel like that was a weird dream. I don't think it's actually happening. <laughs> but um, now this one, rumors coming out that with Demetrius Johnson leaving, the UFC is shutting down the flyweight division. That was reported by Flow Combat. Ariel Hawani says that some managers have been told to tell their fighters what's going on. Others have not. Not all fighters reportedly are being told to move up to Bantamweight. Some of them are just being, you know, released from the roster. And already we have Jose Shorty Torres saying that he's been released from the UFC, even though he had two fights remaining. Um, Kayla, this is obviously, uh, you know, it's game changing for a lot of people's careers because it's the first time we're hearing about the UFC just saying, yeah, this isn't working out and we're trimming that off the entire roster. What are your thoughts on the move? Man, it's it's a lot. I don't really know how to feel about it yet until we just hear more. But like you kind of said, I mean, it, it's it's a really big shock and hit to a lot of people that have put years into, um, you know, this sport. Because unfortunately, there's not many other promotions that, you know, are successfully putting on fights in this division and it really makes me feel kind of uh, emotional because you know we know a lot of people on the amateur circuit out here even pro circuit but not on those pro stages of Bellator and UFC yet and I feel like one of my last interviews that I did a couple months ago with Sharedog um, two of the guys there were talking about how they're a couple fights away from hopefully going pro and then getting on the UFC's radar and how it's a dream of theirs to eventually face Mighty Mouse or even a Joseph Benavides. And I just think about them and think, holy shit, like these 20-year-olds are have been putting in everything to be a mixed martial artist. And now they might just be feeling completely, you know, like the, the rug's been pulled out from underneath them. So... I do, um, I do feel really bad for for the fighters, and and I'm sure they're kind of freaking out and confused. I, um, I think it's really interesting, Jeeve. Like we went to the uh, UFC fight night in LA, and that was known. Everyone was talking about it as a card up for the small guys, and Dana White himself was saying, like, "Hey, look, we had a card with all of the smaller guys on here, and it, you know, it was sold out. It was uh, watched." It had a pretty good pay-per-view numbers. So I don't know who drops the ball here, whether it's just that the men in this division aren't big enough personalities or for some reason the matchups provided or the uh, the competition provided just didn't give those other um, fights that got the people's attention and got them excited about stuff. Unfortunately, it was, you know, a Demetrius uh, Johnson show. Or I don't know if it's just that the UFC didn't book them enough. I do kind of feel like we would see a lot of these fights in the 125 and 135 divisions kind of all thrown on one card. And maybe it was like one or two a year of just all the small guys. So I don't know really who dropped the ball here. But I've, um, you know, used social media to kind of see what fans think and who will miss it, who won't. And it's kind of uh, 50-50. I think it's interesting that Conor McGregor has spoken out and said, 
um, kind of put blame on one championship and said, you were greedy and, and took uh, Demetrius Johnson. Now all these people are going to lose their jobs and not be able to feed their family. Well, you should take some of the other guys then too and, and put them on your roster, um, especially since they're having, I think, their own sort of Grand Prix or tournament. Yep. I don't know. There's a, there's just a lot going on. I, I hope that – I don't know. I hope that some people can either figure out whether they move up Maybe Bellator will kind of take in and, you know, they've obviously been taking uh, free agents in. Maybe they'll develop their own flyweight division there. Um, you know, it's a little bit stronger. I think the biggest thing is if fans really do like these fighters or I think if the fighters really want to speak up, use the power of social media. We've seen it happen in not only, you know, sports, but in all areas of life. When someone is passionate about something and they get a trend going on Twitter and Instagram and all of that, it does speak volume. So I think if people really care about saving these people's jobs, you know, you just got to put it out there and then maybe it will intrigue a Scott Coker to be like, hey, there's something here. Let me look into this. I mean, I think um, a, a lot to unpack, for sure. I think the biggest thing that stands out, like you said, fighter-wise, um, look, it's it's just a bad deal because we've seen the difference between some bantamweights and some flyweights. Not every guy is Henry Cejudo who could probably, you know, move up and hold his own. A lot of guys, there's a reason, you know, just like 145 to 155, it just makes so much more sense. Um, so for me, I think the first thing that I thought was like, okay, if you're shutting it down, let these men fight out their contracts, say, Mm -hmm. we're not extending deals. We're not signing new people, but if you have two fights, we'll throw those two fights, get a few extra cards to have one or two more fight pass prelims and put you guys out, you know, pay these guys or if they're getting cut. Okay. Do like you do with, um, Greg Hardy, you know, is an example. Mackenzie Dern had this give them a Zupa deal, you know, their contract, but they get to fight in LFA or somewhere that, okay, UFC, the company still pays you what you were promised, and now you're free agent. You know, honor the deal, I think, is the biggest thing that I read it, and I was like, come on, you know, I know UFC, like, you got a business to run, but there's alternatives, you know, that these are guys' careers. Um, the rough thing, like you said, is without UFC, Bellator doesn't have one. And you have to imagine that Bellator, maybe they got, they're asking the question, are we going to do any better with the flyweights if UFC couldn't? And especially if now Cejudo isn't going and Demetrius Johnson is in one, you know, you don't even have the number one flyweight to recruit to build it. That's another challenge. Now, on the other hand, on the business side of it, the writing has been on the wall for a long time. And I think the question was, are they actually going to do it? Are they really shutting the doors on these guys? And I got to say it like it is, Kayla. What was left for Mighty Mouse had he defeated Henry Cejudo? For Henry Cejudo, who, let's say he, the super fight. I know they're talking about TJ um, in Anaheim, maybe. But let's say Henry Cejudo doesn't get the Bantamweight title shot. He stays at 125. Who would you even give him for a title defense if not Demetrius? He's beat Joseph Benavidez. Sergio Pettis is coming off a loss and really got dominated in that fight. Everyone else numbers, you know, two, three through 10. 
you know, this has been a problem for several years, even with Demetrius, is even when you think you've got somebody who's going to break through, they just seem to hit that wall with one of the other guys, and they all kind of take each other out of contention. Uh, Luis Gaudino, you know, green hair, long hair, if you remember him. That was another guy, randomly, he's not a big star, but you could tell they were trying to get him there. He ended up hitting the roadblock. You couldn't even get another guy to break through. So the writing has been on the wall that, uh, let's just say it, I feel like the flyweight division hit the ceiling. It was hard to develop. They just couldn't seem to find the personalities and the right combination of guys and everything else. They did the season of the Ultimate Fighter, and the winner already moved back up to Bantamweight. It's just been a rough go for the flyweights, as fun as some of these fights really have been. I want to say it like it is, but, you know, it's just been a rough way to get it done, and it just never seemed to take off like, let's say, the women's strawweight, you know, has done, or the women's, um, you know, the, the bandweight division in the early going. I know, yeah, that was and a it lot, does I'm sorry. Me... <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, we have a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a big change in MMA and a big change for UFC. So it's it's worth discussing. I'm sure we'll talk about it maybe on next week's show when we get more info. But it does make me, I guess, the optimistic side um, of me is, is hopeful that, hey, if they're kind of making some changes like this, will we eventually see just newer weight classes and more added that might give these guys opportunity? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, but... Um, you know, you just hope that uh, at least these people have a backup plan. I think the hardest thing, G, and unless you're kind of pursuing something in MMA is we know, even as media, that the money to make this your only career um, and make a, a life out of it, it's the, the jobs are, are, you know, scarce or whatever. Yep. Um, <laughs> they, um, so you, you do, you have to think about a backup plan. You have to think about how you brand yourself and, you know, um, just how you can make money, maybe even in a short way in case something like this happens. But this is definitely very rare. It's, it's very rare that a whole division would be scrapped. So I don't know if anyone's prepared for that. I doubt it. I mean, I know I, I still got to perform with my boy band at the lounge on Friday to pay the bills this month. Love those shows. Love those Thank moves. You. I, I see you holding up the sign. <laughs> front row center every time Kayla and I have to stop myself from blushing every time it just makes me so happy number one fan oh oh my god you're the best um I'm your number one fan but also um before we move on I want to touch on a few things um I think if you're one championship you now officially have the best flyweights you know probably book probably on your roster and more coming I feel like they're setting up for something big. We know that they already got DJ and Eddie. People are saying that maybe Sage Northcutt is going over and they're talking about a U.S. deal. We already have UFC, Bellator, PFL, Combats Americas, the MMA Pro League. I would not be surprised if one does something and maybe they're the place where the best flyweights in the world are going to be. And maybe that's one of their tent poles of their promotion. Um, I think the writing, if we're, you know, I'm not going to harp on it because I know we have a lot to talk about, but the women's featherweight division, I think that's also an example of how the UFC has, you know, taken notes. I mean, Megan Anderson and Chris Cyborg are the only natural featherweights on the roster. Ultimate fighter, all these title challengers, they all can fight at Bantamweight. 
pretty much. So, you know, what's going on there? Could that be the next one to go if Chris Cyborg chooses to walk away like has been rumored for a while? I think that this sets a precedent that, hey, the future might ride on whether or not Chris Cyborg actually stays. And I think that's something very interesting to keep an eye on going into December, too. For sure. Yeah, moving on. Um, UFC, on top of all this, I feel like they're setting up, they almost want to have like a soft reset going into the ESPN deal. And you were seeing, so look, there's obviously a lot of movement with the trade and all that stuff going on. But they're also starting to announce the first events of the ESPN deal. And one of them, or at least the big one coming out, was Ben Askren. He's going to be fighting Robbie Lawler next year. Um, so we wondered, who's he going to fight in his UFC debut? He called out almost everybody except Robbie Lawler. And that's the guy he gets. I, what the heck is happening? But look, I mean, <laughs> Askren hasn't fought since last November. Robbie hasn't fought since last December. Obviously, the fight with RDA, he really tore up his knee, the ACL and the meniscus. So he's had to sit on the sideline for a while. But, you know, this is another big fight. This would this one would really shake up the welterweight division in a minute. So I guess what are your thoughts on the fight? Um, well, I love the splash that Ben Askren's made because he promised us that he'd give us one. He did. And I like his style. I don't feel like he's been obnoxious so far. <laughs> um, and just kind of been calling people out in a fun way. Um, he's enthusiastic I, is how I say it. Yeah. Um, I I like this fight just because I just feel like both of these guys really have been around the sport for a long time. Um, you know, everyone that talks about Ben that I've seen lately has just said wonderful things about his work ethic and skill. And Robbie Lawler is someone that continues to show us that, you know, yes, maybe he's taken some wear and tear where he's definitely aging, but he still has the heart and he still wants to fight. And he's still the same Robbie Lawler that we love. Um, so <coughs> I think, um, I think it's a fun one, I think, too, because I just think that it's going to be entertaining. We know that Ben Askren's going to want to go in there and make a great debut, but Robbie Lawler is going to be a tough opponent, and it could definitely be something that gets, you know, pretty competitive and maybe even bloody. Who knows? Ooh, um, scary. So I like it because I know that Ben Askren was also like calling out a lot of, you know, top guys or even saying, hey, I could just come in here and fight for a title. I don't necessarily want to see that happen. So I want to see his development in the UFC kind of grow and build. You know, the thing about it to me is the big question I had when it was first announced is, okay, you've already semi-retired and it's been a year. And you're saying that you're not going to fight Tyron Woodley, which I respect that you're being upfront and sticking to your guns about it. Thank you. That being said, with those two caveats already on you, how much time do you have left and you're not going to fight the champion? Have you already put a ceiling on you before you even get in there? Um, the way I see it that's most complicated for Ben is you want him to make a splash, which I agree he has. But... He needs to get fights that aren't just, you're not just going to feed him scrubs, right? But at the same time, he also can't fight the Colby Covingtons or Kamaru Usman's because then who's the title challenger for Tyron Woodley who's still there? 
that makes this very complicated. I like stylistically the fight with Robbie Lawler because I think it's striker versus grappler. I think for Robbie, he wants to show that he's still got it and he's still, you know, he's not about to just walk away after this one. He wants to just fight out his contract and really just have a solid end to, you know, this part of his career right now. I like that he's given that chance. Taking out Ben Askren would re-inject him into this conversation of the top 10. Not a title shot right now, but certainly set him up for more marquee matchups. And then if you're Ben Askren, I think the one thing about it is that I think he matches up almost too well with Robbie. He can take him down and really hold him there. Robbie is great and multifaceted, but I just have never seen him being able to handle that level of wrestler. You know, even Johnny, um, Johnny Hendricks notwithstanding, I think Johnny didn't have that extra oomph when he fought uh, Robbie Lawler to take him down. And uh, I'll be honest, Kayla, as much as Ben Askren has been entertaining and talking, Robbie Lawler isn't going to get into a war worse with him. And that was a little disappointing. I kind of wanted to hear Darren Till in his Liverpool accent get into it with Ben or one of these other guys. So the fact that it was Robbie was a little like, I'll take it, but I wanted somebody to really fire us up for Ben Askren's first one. And I think that this one almost is going to play out a little too easily for him. Mm. I know. We'll see. I know Robbie Lawler going to just knock him out and be like, aren't you that guy who said it was going to be easy for Ben Askren? (laughs) Nah, that was that other dude. I I run MMA monthly. You're talking about (laughs) MMA daily. That oh, other, gee. that other good-looking Hispanic guy. That wasn't me. <laughs> I have a question. Do you realize how hard it is to come up with a new title for an MMA show? Like I know. Could, I mean, for example, podcasts yeah. are, are. There's quite a few out there. It's hard to come up with something creative that hasn't been used already. So for people who probably ask the same way people ask, Ariel Hawani talks for five hours, but he used to call it the MMA hour. Why are you guys MMA daily when you're only on once a week? Um, We used to be on daily for the fans who have been with us for a while. And now, ironically, we couldn't even change it to MMA weekly because that's another website. (laughs) And we're talking about the daily news that's going down in MMA. Oh, my God. That's the new way I'm going to explain it. I never thought to say it like that. That's brilliant. (laughs) But but yeah, it's, it's difficult. But no, Robbie, if you're listening, you know, I'm Juan at MMA Monthly. You're talking about MMA Daily, that guy that you don't like. But yeah, Kayla, um, UFC 25th anniversary, they've been having it on every poster and they mention it a lot. Um, Big show in Denver, the site of the very first UFC way back when, before there were those pesky things like rules and regulations. Um, and they're coming back with a big featherweight fight. Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, against Yair Rodriguez. And we talked about this last week. You know, Yair on two weeks' notice, replacing Frankie Edgar. Both men have, haven't fought in over a year. Um, obviously, zombie was coming off three years, military service. Beat Dennis Bermudez, and then he's been out with injury for a year. Yair Rodriguez, not since Frankie Edgar, and we were wondering... Where is he at? Um, Kayla, stylistically, I think Zombie's going to walk him down. And he's going to try to take away his space, use the kicks, 
Zombie also has a very good ground game that people forget about, but he's submitted guys like Dustin Poirier. So I think get in his face, maybe threaten him with a takedown. I think that's what he's going to try to do to Yair. For Yair, he has the benefit. Zombie leaves himself open a lot to counters. A lot of guys crack Zombie, even if they're not the best striker. And the thing is, he's so durable that he tends to be able to walk through it and still hurt you. Yair has that working for him. He can't be afraid to just let the hands go, throw for the kicks, even if he doesn't feel like he's setting it up well, because that's how you're going to get Zombie to stop trying to walk you down. So this is going to be a fun fight. What are your thoughts on the matchup? Yeah, I think that you, you know, hit it on right on the head that um, he leaves those openings. But what I'm really curious about is, are we going to get a Yair that's still like that doesn't have that ring rust? It's he'd spend a little bit. And, um, you know, I mean, both men have had time outside of the, the octagon, but he's just kind of gone through more with the injuries, with the politics whether he's still going to be signed with the UFC. I really, and then he's been open about, you know, just his mindset and, and how the politics are just even like rise to fame messed with his head. He needed to take some time off just to get his head space. Right. So I think that's really going to be, this just going to be a telling fight because I think if he's on it, like he has been in the past, he'll find that opening. And I think has the accuracy and um, skill to find a, a possible knockout. But are we going to get that Yaya Rodriguez there? If not, I think, like you said, the zombie is a tough, durable guy. He's got a chin. He's been through some crazy wars. And, um, you know, he can be that bully there and get the finish himself, at le- or at least, you know, a, a unanimous decision. Yeah, I think to me, um, remember they're at eleva- sorry, Elevation in Denver. Yair's on short notice, even if he has a good start, is it going to hold up? Because we know Zombie is a very well-conditioned guy. He's gone to the fourth round with both uh, Aldo and Poirier in the past. Um, I think that's going to be a big factor. Um, If he comes out hot, can he keep it up? That's going to be one. And then also, I want to give credit to Zombie. He was a guy last year, I was hoping he'd come back because I thought he could shake things up. I thought he could fight Chad Mendez and Brian Ortega and he would be just such a big player in this new featherweight division with these new guys who are now at the top. Whereas when he left, it was still Jose, Chad, Cub Swanson who are really title contenders. So I think he could still be a player. He's only, I want to say 30, 31. Um, He's still got a lot of miles. You know, he hasn't been in fights, so his body hasn't had too much wear and tear. I think that he could make a run for it. I think that Yair, once again, like you said, he's going to have to be accurate. He's going to have to get after it. But my prediction is going to be that Zombie just gets him in that right spot, crowds him, and he's just going to hit him with those shots that really break him down, make Yair hesitant to throw with his full arsenal. And I think Zombie gets it. I'm going to go second round, TKO. Mm. He's just going to put that combination together and follow up on the ground yeah i'm seeing the same thing i think that for whatever reason um yeah i think is just going to kind of need a tune-up fight and i think that because like you said uh you know that uh sorry i spaced out for a second the zombie um just has kind of just stayed more conditioned um i think that like you said he's going to probably find a chance to 
get that that early finish. I want to say, I'm thinking, yeah, probably like this. Yeah, probably the second as well. I think it's going to take him at least a round because I think both guys are going to feel each other out. But I think he's going to end up getting the finish in the second as well. Yeah. Oh, well, we are on the same page on this Thursday. I like it. That means we're about to have, you know, a good fight week. Because when we fight, I don't know if you noticed, but sometimes the cards can be a little chill. But when we're on the same page, the MMA gods are like, we like this energy. We're going to make these fights deliver. It's true. We agreed a lot with uh, last weekend's fights. Exactly. See, we need to keep this up. So um, we've got three fights to talk about, though. We have one. We're both taking the zombie. The Okay, I, I wanted to call it a grudge match. Technically, it's not. Cowboy Cerrone versus Mike Perry. Cowboy says, I got no problem with Mike Perry. It's Mike Perry's coach, Mike Winklejohn. Um, the things that have stood out to me this week is that Cowboy is not working with Greg Jackson. Not anything personal, but he said it's just not fair. So that is a bit of a change-up. Mike Perry, a lot of people saying he's looked a lot better since he's moved to Jackson. The Paul Felder fight was awesome in July. I don't know. I want to compare it. If you remember one of our first breakdowns ever, we talked about Robbie Lawler versus Cowboy Cerrone. Stylistically, I think it's very similar. Mike Perry's going to try to get in his face, make it a little rougher. Cowboy likes a little more in between them so he could chain together the punches to the kicks really get that full extension to really cut loose and really whip into him with his kicks to finish the strike or to pick him apart at distance. I think that Mike Perry knows that that's Donald Cowboy Cerrone's game. What, exactly how much has the, his teammates and the team at Jackson's helped him and told him, hey, he tends to zig instead of zag? That might be the big factor, but I think that stylistically that's going to be the key. Um, Kayla... It's also Donald Cerrone. Is he still that guy? Can he take the shots? Can he put it together? That's, I think, the big question going into this one also because Mike Perry, I think, just he's just fresher. I think he's just in a better place in his career overall. I think so, too. And I think that that was something that really kind of worried um, Cowboy is he sees that this guy has the power has has he has evolved with his last couple fights you know the fight before last it was like a cardio issue we saw some improvements there i think that he probably learned from this last fight too um and then like you said just making that change of camps and going to a camp like jackson wink that is a very busy big camp but when they do want to put you know their efforts into somebody they usually um really take care and develop fighters well And I think that that's one of Cowboy's concerns is, you know, is someone kind of leaking information of how he operates and um, and giving those, I guess, extra little side notes to Mike Perry. Um, So that's what makes this fight kind of weird for me is I don't really get super excited about it Um, because there's just too many factors coming into play. And it's hard because how do you not fight somebody that you're friends with or someone that you might have trained with or something? But this one does feel like a little too close to home for me. Um, I, I, I think, like you said, I think Mike Perry's just a little bit fresher. And there's something about Cowboy Cerrone that love him. I still think that he's very athletic and capable of fighting. I just... um. I don't know. I think just with all the drama of this fight um, 
And I just think that the last couple of fights that he's had, it seems like he does kind of just get stuck at one point and then it leads to his demise. Um, so I, I see that happening with Mike Perry as well. My prediction though, I don't know if I'm seeing a finish. I think that it's either going to be an early finish or it's going to be a, a decision. But my, I don't know why I'm feeling more decision. For Mike Perry, right? Mm-hmm. For Mike Perry, yes. I've been on the fence because I, every time I want to say, you know what, Cowboy, you know, he just doesn't have the ammo and the guns. He's got a horse that doesn't run as fast. His boots aren't as fresh as they used to be. He just, <laughs> you know, he, he just turns into Clint Eastwood and he just reminds you why he's Cowboy. Um, the thing is, I feel like he's those moments are coming less frequently. And whether that's age, whether that's uh, experience, wear and tear, too many battles, guys have just gotten better. They're younger. They've figured him out. I just feel like Mike Perry, he knows that, hey, he's not afraid. He's going to get in Donald Cowboy Cerrone's face, and he's just going to put that pressure on, not really give Cowboy what he needs to be effective in there. I think it's going to be back and forth. I think they're both going to get their shots in. Um, I, I think it's going to go to decision two. Every time I think Mike Perry is going to get a finish, somehow he goes to decision, even though he's doing everything. I don't know why. So I think I'm going to just, you know, let history be my guide and say Mike Perry decision also. Um, but it's going to be fun. Me. Yep. Two for two. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, who knows? My uh, Cowboy, also a few notes. If Cowboy wins, I think he, this is, I don't think he's there for most UFC fights or if he's close to it. But if he wins, most wins in UFC history. That is insane. Um, quick stat, because I was writing about it and I like to brag about doing my homework. Um, the guys who have 20 right now with Cowboy are George St. Pierre and Michael Bisping. I think that GSP entered the UFC in 2004, Michael Bisping in 2006. Cowboy didn't enter the UFC until about 2012. So six years less to make up this difference. I think that just is a testament to a guy who gets out there and gets after it. So, you know, is that a little extra motivation to get the W? For sure. And I think that, yeah, if he focuses more on, you know, maybe not getting a title shot and, and, and breaking those records, which is incredible and such an achievement and going to be hard to beat. You know, like you said, he's just been active and, and was on a run. Um, if he focuses on that, like that's what his legacy can be left at too. You know, just um, being willing to take these fights like danger against dangerous guys like Mike Perry and, and breaking records like that. I think that's cool. I agree. It's going to be a fun one. I hope that they, like I said, I think they're going to get their shots in um, either way that this one goes. And I think that's that bodes well for this show. Um, the next one, I was going to leave it off, but then I realized that I really feel like this one is so crazy and has big implications going into next year. Raquel Pennington against Jermaine Durandamy. This is Jermaine's first fight since beating Holly Holm last February, becoming featherweight champion then saying she's not going to fight Cyborg, being stripped of the belt. She's been trying to come back. She keeps getting injured, but finally she's at fight week, and she's taken on another very durable opponent in Rocky. 
Um, Kayla, obviously Rocky is well-rounded, tough, in your face, um, goes to the ground and stand up. Jermaine, great kickboxer, a lot of firepower. But, you know, how do we feel about Jermaine after everything that happened? I think that's the story that's still lingering over this. So I want your thoughts on it. Yeah, she has been out for quite a bit. Um, I think that it's just going to be telling to see where both ladies are at. Rocky's last fight was against who? Amanda and May. Amanda and May, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, that was a very telling fight as well. So I think that this is just kind of that fight to get both ladies back Um in their groove and to kind of see where they're going to place in bantamweight just because I know that Jermaine, you know, attempted the 145 bracket for a little bit. Um, Stylistically, I just kind of feel a little bit more confident in Rocky. I think just like where her head's been at training for a title, um, wanting to get back after that loss to Amanda, which was a very funky one because of the, you know, um, almost towel, the towel that was being suggested to be thrown in. I just kind of feel a little bit more confident from her, but also just because we haven't really heard from Jermaine Duran to be as much. So um, I'd probably say Rocky, but I think that it is going to be a decision win. With this one, my thing is that Jermaine's reputation probably never is going to, completely come back after everything that happened at 145 and let's say like it is at the end no matter how she's cut it and said it people feel that she was just too afraid to fight Chris Cyborg and knew she was going to lose that's why she didn't want to do it um whether you know exactly how much fear is in Jermaine only she knows but you know how it looks is pretty cut and dry at the end of the day for Jermaine um, that being said, I feel like the big thing about this one is that Bantamweight has really struggled to get new girls. They, Ketlin Vieira is there. We don't know what's up with Holly Holm. Is she going to get the fight with Cyborg just to keep moving things along in 2019? Or is she going to get the shot at 135? There's a lot to figure out. And if I'm being honest, Jermaine would be a breath of fresh air right now because Amanda's coming back win or lose. She's yeah. still the 135 champion, and that's a better weight class. So, to me, I think that, you know, Jermaine, I, I've said it. I think she might be the hardest hitter at 135, and that's including Amanda Nunes, who we know hits like a truck. I think that all of that bodes well. I think stylistically, she's a lot of fun, very technical, very explosive. She hits you, and it really chops away at the gas tank. That's why she was able to win against Holly, even though she kind of guessed out later in that fight. So I like having Jermaine there. I agree with you, though. Rocky is just, you know, we know more where she's at. She's more multifaceted. She'll go to the ground. She has a better ground game, I think, than Jermaine, than what we see. Oh, man. But I got to be honest, Kayla. I feel like Jermaine wouldn't be getting back out here unless she really wanted to make a point to people and she wanted to... I think that she has something more to prove that we just haven't gotten to hear from her. I don't think that she's coming back just to earn a paycheck, just to, you know, fight some pro MMA and go home to the Netherlands. I think she really wants to say, you know what? The, I didn't want to fight at 145. 
but I'm this is my weight class, and I bet you I could do it here too. And because remember, she left 135 before she ever really went on a run at 145, so we never got to see if she stayed where she would have ended up. So we are two for three, so we still are in majority, but I'm actually going with Jermaine Durandamy. I think that the firepower at the end of the day, she's just going to counter Rocky coming in. She's going to really make her pay every time that she tries to close that distance. And in 15 minutes, I think she's going to just handle business. So I'm going to go with Jermaine for the upset on this one. All right. But yes, two for three. We're still okay. No worries. Kayla, this is the UFC's 25th anniversary show. I'm not going to have us do 25 moments that we love because I'm not Ariel Hawani. I got things to do today. <laughs> um, besides doing MMA daily every week with Gabriel Gonzalez, what are some of your favorite moments from 25 years of UFC? Oh, man. Um, you know, I've really been excited about the growth and development of women in the sport. I loved waking up to the news today that Misha Tate is getting the opportunity to be the vice president of one. I think it's just yes. cool to see how, um, you know, women have really just started to become more equal in the sport and, and provide um, main events or, um, you know, been a big part of selling a card. That's been super cool. I think it's just been awesome to see these this wave and new generation of fighters that aren't necessarily just one, you know, super skilled in one way. We are really seeing technology and just the information come into play of how these young fighters can push their body to these incredible limits and um, push their work ethic mindset all of that so I think just the development of the sport has been really cool to watch um, and then I do like you know as dramatic as it can be sometimes it is always cool to see someone come in like a Conor McGregor who can really just show how if you market yourself correctly and deliver with all the talk that you're, you know, saying that you're going to improve yourself. I mean, you know, he's doing big things outside of just MMA. He's on what the Forbes list and, um, you know, just getting opportunities outside of MMA, which you see in other sports, but you don't necessarily always see with mixed martial artists. So I think that that's always cool to have someone come in and show the uh, potential and that's all I can think off the top of my head, G. What's been your, I mean, some of your favorite parts? Um, MMA Daily with Kayla Beatty every week. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, shoot, that is a, that's a tough answer to follow, if I'm being honest, Kayla. I'm kind of glad you don't have more. Um, on my part, I mean, as a fan, how can I not think, man, that was awesome when I think about Anderson Silva and his highlight reel, you know, fifth round triangle chail or the front kick on Vitor GSP just shutting down everybody from Tiago Alves to Johnny Hendricks. I mean, man, just as a fan, that was uh, just watching it as a fan. That's just been so awesome. And for me, I think the things that stand out, especially now working and interviewing fighters, doing media and all that, I still remember when back in the day, I know you and I have talked about this, but when you would see somebody random and they're wearing a tap out shirt and you're like, hey, do you watch UFC? And it was like this secret thing that only a few people knew about, but you guys both knew how awesome it was. 
And now to see it, I mean, everybody and their mama knows Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor, and they know the fights and they watch it. And it's just been really cool to say, like, I remember being on the ground level when not a lot of people knew. And now to say it's my job being a part of it as it's become this thing. And, you know, to say, like, for me, like, okay, you know, everybody watches TV, right? And so many fans watch the fights to be able to say, yeah, I did talk to Alima McFarlane before she fought, um, you know, in Bellator on TV on Saturday or talk to Tyron Woodley. And, you know, you guys, so many watch him on pay-per-view and all this stuff to be able to say I'm part of that, that really to me is like, wow, this is, when you take a step back to look at the big picture, it is pretty awesome. So those little moments all together to me really stand out for 25 years essentially of MMA. And I think that's pretty cool. It's been fun to 25 more, G. Exactly. I hope we have that and so many more years of just providing great MMA and just enjoying the sport in general. But yeah, guys, we'll be back next week. I want to say they next week they are going to Argentina, Neil Magny versus Santiago Ponzinibbio in Buenos Aires. That's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of good matchups on that card. And I want to say that Bellator is coming up on another doubleheader back in roughly the Middle East. I don't want to say the wrong one and get it wrong, but I know it's further than, you know, London and Germany, like a lot of cards. So... We're coming up on that, and it's, you know, we'll have plenty more shows for everybody. Thank you for listening. Kayla, where can the fans find you on social media to get even more insight on this wonderful sport we love? Fans can find me at fangirl underscore MMA. Where can they find you? Fans, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week.